It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Here we go. Mm-hmm. Welcome to BP Wrigley Cast, the Cubs podcast that is sacrificing Dancing with the Stars to broadcast to you tonight uh, on the day of the Chicago Cubs home opener. Um, I am joined today by Ryan Davis and a special guest, Tommy Birch, who covers the Iowa Cubs for the Des Moines Register. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Hey, hey. So it's a special night. It's the Cubs home opener. We are literally recording as they are uh, raising the banners, walking around the field with the trophy. Uh, and I mean, it was just five minutes ago that I was watching this and I was overcome by certain emotions, but I want to hear from you guys first. Uh, Tommy, we'll start with you. What, what was going through your mind as you were watching this? I was kind of wondering where the heck they were going <laughs> when, uh, when they, uh, <clears throat> Start walking out to right field. I thought that was really cool. I mean, I thought uh, to me, kind of the neatest thing was how they got everybody. It looked like at least most of the guys involved when they were kind of raising that flag. And I mean, that kind of epitomizes just how every single guy on that team is important and played, you know, a unique or special role. That was a nice touch. Last season. Yeah. What about you, Ryan? Yeah. Yeah, I, I same thing. I they kept a lot of this kind of secretive, so um, I thought that uh, it was really cool when they were starting walking out to right field. I thought, well, maybe they're just all going out there to watch it, and then when they actually brought them up to, and then everybody got to give a pull on the on the rope to pull the the flag up. I thought that was really cool. It was just a really cool ceremony overall. Like like Tommy just said, it was you know I, I had been sitting there just waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting to. Uh, you know, actually watch it because of all the rain delay. So, um, yeah, it, it was definitely like it was that emotional moment that I think a lot of Cubs fans have been waiting for. And, and actually, it's funny because uh, I, I was planning to talk about this more towards the end of of this podcast of this episode, but I don't know. The more as we're discussing it, it it's really jarring to me as I was looking at all this happening, the banners going up, and the fireworks. It reminded me of, uh, you know, we're a week into the into the season, and the last time we were watching Cubs baseball that counted was this intense, crazy, insane, historic time where every game, you know, I was like, we talked about it last season, so stressed out and so much the nerves and the pressure and ah, uh, and now to watch, you know, and I expected, okay, the baseball season started, and just like every other season okay, spring training is over. I'm excited that it's real baseball and, and I'm, and I'm into it, but it's so weird being okay. The, the real game started, but the intensity drop from where we were at the end of last season to now. Oh, so we lost to the Brewers. Big whoop. We got 162 games here. It, it's very jarring. And, and it, and it reminded me of something that a friend of mine, my uh, old neighbor in Chicago, uh, told me he's a Giants fan that after you win the first one, you don't you stop caring as much. It's a different type of caring. And I'm like, oh no, it won't be me, man. No way. But, but now that we've got these games, six games under under our belts, that's kind of how I don't know. I'm, I'm curious to hear what you guys think about this. Like, has has it fundamentally changed to be a Cubs fan after last season? The the obvious answer is yes. But now that the season is starting, what do you guys think? I think part of the mindset that that changes too is the Cubs have 
the Cubs have won it now, and just I think in the past to happen and kind of um, you know that black cat to come running by or that Bartman ball, you know it seemed like there was always something bad that they're waiting to happen, and now that they've experienced some good, it's 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 almost like you aren't waiting for that bad thing to happen anymore. It's it's like okay, more, more goods coming. It's 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 definitely a weird mindset to see. Um, Cub fans. To me, the biggest change that happened with Cub fans is um, they—I don't want to say they got arrogant, but you know they—they <laughs> they got they got overly, uh, maybe not overly, cock, you know, confident. Because I think you should be every Cubs fan should be celebrating this uh, uh, immensely. But um, you know, I think it's it, it is definitely weird to see how the perception of of the Cubs has changed and their fan base too. I mean, you know, whether Cub fans like it or not, you know, they're kind of creeping into that Cardinal mentality where everybody loves to hate Cubs fans. Now it's almost becoming, it used to be one of those things where it was cool to be a Cubs fan. And now it's kind of cool to hate Cubs fans because um, they're this blend of the Cardinals and that blend of the, the evil empire of the Yankees too. I can definitely see that. I, I take the the different road where I think right now it's still pretty much the same. Uh, that Cubs fans are celebrating this still, but that long term, uh, I think once the playoffs roll around, it might be a little different. That air of desperation. And if you think back to other other seasons where the Cubs were really good and everybody was just enjoying it up until the playoffs, and then the closer you got to October, the more anxiety set in about knowing that. You know, here comes that short series where it could just be three games and gone. Um, you know that I think that anxiety is gone. Uh, I think that you know there there just won't be that desperation anymore in October. I think fans will still want to win, obviously, but uh, I just don't think you know it, it's kind of what you just said, Carlos. I have a really good friend who's a Red Sox fan who said you know that you'll only win the World Series the first time once. Uh, after that, you know, the second time's great, but it's never the first time ever again. So um, just, I guess that uh, it's kind of a depressing way of saying uh, it'll never be as awesome as it was last October for the Cubs. <laughs> your, your greatest moment as a Cubs fan has already come and gone. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> I guess I'll still take that over never having had the moment at all, right? Isn't there some yeah. cheesy line about love or whatever? But before we get to dating advice on this podcast, um, because I'm the one you should be going to. (laughs) (laughs) Ask Tommy debuting next week. Get it where you get your podcasts. Um, So let's let's go through some quick hits. I'm curious to hear what you guys think of. You know, again, six six games into the season, but there's definitely some stuff that that has uh, that we've seen that is worth uh, uh, you know a comment or two. And I'm going to start with somebody that we gave a lot, we gave a hard time uh, last season, deservedly so probably, Jason Hayward. He had that nice game, his last game, where uh, whatever, he was like 96, 95-plus miles per hour exit velocity on five of his at-bats, making good, solid contact. Um, What, uh, I don't know, the bar is so low, I think, for him to have a rebound season. He could hit... 240 and I'd be like all right hey Jason good job you're getting there um but and I have not paid attention to the details of his swing and his hands and all this stuff I know uh you and Isaac covered it a little bit last week uh Ryan but any you guys what do you guys see from from Jason Hayward uh do you guys see a big difference in his approach or how he's doing things or are we going to just see rolling over to second base uh, more and more I definitely do see a difference in the approach. Um, I, I actually was in Peoria um, talking to Isaac about this uh, yesterday, uh, or maybe it was the day before, but um, we were sitting down talking about Hayward's uh, big game, and it, it was like this this new swing is going to be a process for him. It's not going to be something, you know, a lot of fans are getting upset about, oh, he's batting 150 or something in spring training. Yeah, he just overhauled all of his mechanics and is seeing real competition for the first time. Like, not only do spring stats not really matter or, you know, they're not really predictive of anything. Uh, it's also that he's getting used to this. You can't judge it right away. I think we're starting to see a gradual process where the swing actually looks good, where his you know, his wrists aren't as stiff as it was uh, maybe a month ago. And, 
you know, it, it's not just like last year where he would go through those stretches where he'd just collect a couple hits. And the ex- example is earlier in the season, the first, you know, couple days, he gathered three hits in, I like in a couple days. Already used earlier in the season. That's good. We're yeah. going to a good place yeah. here. <laughs> so like the first couple days, I mean, he 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 got he got a couple hits, but it was like a, a little roller that found the right spot, and then a little dying dove in the outfield that dropped, and 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 those were not indicative of you know what we would consider progress. But yesterday, five balls all scalded off the bat. One, you know, he was a fastball that he swung first pitch and clubbed to center field, probably three hundred and ninety feet for a triple and another one where he didn't get a hit but he was just absolutely robbed going the other way um i think that's all really positive signs for jason hayward and you know you said the bar is low for a rebound season i I think that's another effect of the world series win you know i was watching the opening day lineups uh jason hayward got as loud of a cheer from the crowd as just about anybody because cubs fans love him you know he's he's going to be part of cubs lore no matter what he does because of that game seven pep talk in the weight room in cleveland so um yeah the bar is definitely low for a rebound but i I think the signs are there yeah i mean i think i I think there definitely are i agree with what uh ryan said but to me kind of the thing that stands out when it comes to jason hayward is look uh he's gonna get unleashed because of that contract he's on but realistically I, I don't think he's he's got to feel the heat right now, but at some point, um, it, it, he's got to produce and he's got to produce quick. You know, they're they're gonna have patience with him, but um, there there are starting to be there are other options in the outfield that. I mean, there are a lot of people that still believe Matt Caesar could be an everyday outfielder for somebody. You know, Kyle Schwarber is gonna be playing the the bulk of his time in the outfield. If Albert Almora keeps progressing and, and playing the defense that um, he's shown, I mean, he's going to be starting in center field at some point. I think, you know, obviously John Jay is just here to to kind of help him transition into that role. I don't think they were ready to hand the keys to the car to him to play center. You've got Ian Happ, who has gotten off to a fantastic start in Des Moines. So, you know, it's it, it's going to take some time, but at some point he is going to have to produce because um, there are other options for the Cubs. I, the interesting thing about Hayward is the Cubs have to be hoping that he performs well enough the next two years to opt out of that contract, right? Like not just for the savings on not paying him, but because they have so many guys like Ian Happ that if Hayward were gone, you can actually start to envision – moving your lineup around where you put, you know, maybe Zobrist in right field to finish out his career. And and then you have Almora in center and, and Happ in left field and, or and Schwarber in left field. And then you have Happ and uh, Baez in the infield kind of sweet. You know, you have this whole big rotation like you have now where it all kind of fits a little bit better, but um, that that's going to take a lot from Jason Hayward to, to play to the way that he could over the next two years to be able to opt out of that contract. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying, Ryan. Um, and and uh, I will I will kind of take a step back on that because I think this is one of the things that happened with last year and just with the Cubs rebuild in general. We've grown accustomed to saying, "Oh well, just bring up the 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 next stud stud prospect that's ready to go because it's going to be a slam dunk." And and not that you're saying that. I know that you're not. But that's kind of the mentality that we're in. Like, oh, well, this guy's doing okay, but well, let's just bring up the next guy who's ready to go because they've hit on almost every single one of these guys. And I thought, I think it's really interesting in, in talking about Hayward. I did not expect it. And maybe I totally missed this um, to see him in center field as much as he has been. I know that was the plan last year until, until Fowler came on board at the last minute. But I, I was surprised to see Hayward in center field so much and Almora not getting, I mean, I think he's, I looked it up earlier. I think he's got like seven at bats in four games or something. Um, so that was surprising to me in, in, in the early going so far to see him in there as much as he has been, which I understand you've got this other problem, which is, you know, you've got Ben Zobris world series hero uh, guy who you promised he would play mostly second base. And now you're having trouble keeping that promise because of the you know, Javier Baez kind of maturing and needing those at bats all happy problems to have, but were either of you kind of surprised to see so far how much Hayward has been in center field? 
Uh, a, li- a little, but not so much just because, look, they've they've got to rotate all these guys around, not just the infield, but the outfield too, if they want to get um, guys in the lineup and give them shots. And by all accounts, like we said with the contract that Hayward has, you're going to do everything in your power to see if he can battle out of it and get him as much playing time as possible. And if that means moving him around to center field a little bit more, uh, um, that's what they're going to do. So um, a little surprised, but not overly shocked just because, you know, Madden wants some versatility where um, he can plug some other people in right field. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that and say that, um, I guess uh, Hayward and center doesn't shock me any more than the amount that I've seen Zobrist and Wright. And I mean, Madden basically has been trotting out his um, essentially game seven of the world series lineup most of the year with, you know, except for Hayward and center and Zobrist and Wright and Schwarber and left and Fowler's gone. Um, <laughs> but, but I mean, like, you know, Baez has been getting out there pretty much every day, which I didn't totally expect. Mm-hmm. Um, Hayward got a day off. I want to say Zobrist got a day off. Schwarber hasn't had any days off yet, I don't think, which is uh, pretty surprising because uh, I, I, I won thought that Schwarber, I, my my thought coming into the year was maybe 120 to 130 games for him, uh, easing him in in the outfield. And, you know, get him get him a day off every once in a while after missing an entire season with that that terrible knee injury. So, and it's still possible that they do that, but um, yeah, I really think they are in this situation right now where you said it's a wonderful problem to have, but it still is kind of a problem for you know for those guys you know sitting on the bench. You brought up Matt Caesar, Tommy. How do you think Caesar and Tommy Lastella feel about this? What's Tommy Lastella's <laughs> chance of ever getting into a game starting without somebody getting hurt? I, I just it, it can't happen. I think Tommy doesn't want to go back to Des Moines. I mean, as oh, long yeah. as we all he must that. have said something to piss him off, man. Yeah, yeah. As long as he's uh, <laughs> as long as he's collecting that big league paycheck, you know, I'm sure he's happy. Uh, but yeah, he he's a guy that wants to play, and I'm sure it's really tough for Caesar um, when he produced like he did last season, and yeah. uh, the Cubs are kind of I don't. They've given him tons of opportunities, but it's like I said before, it's a guy who to people around baseball, there are a lot of people that would say he's an everyday outfielder for them. And to me, out of all the guys that you look at that roster who are, you know, expendable guys that they may trade, Matt Caesar's kind of at the top of my list. At them um, at the end of the season, but you know, that's that's barring if somebody gets hurt or whatever, because like we saw with Schwarber getting hurt so early in the season, that kind of changes everything. But I think right now he is the odd man out when it comes to um, the outfield rotation. Yeah, I have a question for you, Tommy, and I know that um, you know, we'll caveat this that uh, that you cover the Cub, Iowa Cubs for the Des Moines Register, but they have not been home yet. Mm-hmm. So you haven't been able to to see them face to face and talk to those people. But, you know, do you get a sense, let's say, let's say the Cubs sustain an injury to a key player that that's going to have somebody out for a, a couple months. Um, all things being equal, do you see, who do you see being the first position player coming up? Do you think it's Ian Happ at this point? I don't think it's Ian Happ quite yet. I think, <clears throat> to me right now, Happ situation kind of reminds me of Wilson Contreras last season, where you know I think if they would have brought Wilson Contreras up super early, you know when I think it was Montero who had gotten hurt and they brought up Tim Fedorovich, I think Wilson Contreras would have held his own. He was doing fine. He adjusted to triple A just fine. That was his first um, cracks at triple A pitching. But I think they want to get Ian Happ a little bit more time, a little bit more seasoning where I would say if something happens midway through the season, um, he's definitely a guy that they would, um, they would feel confident in bringing up if he continues to hit like this. But to me, one of the, one of the position players I've always kind of been intrigued by, um, that hasn't gotten a shot so far as John Andrioli. I mean, that guy's hit um, reasonably well uh, at the AAA level. We got off to 
But, um, you know, he, he's kind of – the problem with him is he's kind of Matt Caesar 2.0. <laughs> if you don't have a spot for Matt Caesar, you probably don't have one for Andreoli. But probably in the infield, if it's not Ian Happ, it's Jamie or Candelario, who has just tore apart opposing pitching since um, he came up for that, that short stint in Chicago. And once he came back to Iowa, I would imagine he's, he's among the first guys, position player-wise, that could get a call. So you're saying if I come out to visit you in uh, in Des Moines in late May, I'll I'll still have a good chance of seeing uh, <laughs> Ian Happ. That's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I I would imagine Ian Happ will be here till till at least that point. But I mean, man, if he keeps if he keeps raking like he is right now, he could you know force the issue. But then the problem is, like we said before, they just don't have a need for him uh, right now, and you know. Um, uh, I, th- I think right now he, you know, they're going to let him um, stay in. Um, you know, the the difference between Ian Happ and Wilson Contreras, part of the reason why Wilson Contreras spent so much time in Des Moines while he was hitting so well was he was a catcher. He's still learning this trade, you know. He, he didn't come up a catcher. So uh, I think they wanted him to get a little bit more seasoned and <clears> – <throat> To me, that might be kind of the issue with Ian Happ, too, where, you know, he's going to get the bulk of his playing time at second base. But um, a lot of people I've talked to has a real future at second base. He's He might be better suited for the outfield. He has made strides at second base. But, um, you know, that's that's probably the biggest question mark with Ian Happ right now. Well, you know, we, we briefly mentioned Elmora and, you know, the fact that Matt Caesar – getting playing time for him is going to be challenging. One of the things going back to, to some of these quick, these things that we've noticed so far, his, his defense in, in the li- very limited amount of time he's played, he's already made a huge impact on at least a couple catches that I saw. And it, it made me realize, you know, you put that guy out there 95% of the time, you know, once he, once he becomes the starter, if, if that's what happened, which is, which is what we all think is probably going to happen. This team's defense potentially improves, even with Schwarber in left field, which is crazy to think about. And that, and then just seeing the lineup and seeing how it starts from Schwarber through all the meat of the order all the way to the end, it just, again, I'm, it boggles the mind that this team is potentially getting better defensively and offensively is just already a juggernaut. So, so I can see, going back to the beginning, what we talked about, I can see people getting cocky and being, you know, oh, yeah, well, of course we're going to do this. Of course we're going to do that because it's an embarrassment of riches, really. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, Ian, <laughs> sorry. No Ian question Happ's, there, just rambling. Uh, Ian Happs, or, uh, you know, Albert Amore Jr. is probably going to be a guy that hits uh, 270 at the major league level and maybe hits you – 12 to 15 homers I would think but you know that's with the lineup you have do you really need that much more with the defensive um, abilities that he brings and kind of maybe helps Kyle Schorber out a little bit I mean that's that's the perfect thing that you would want from Al Moore Jr. He, he's going to get away with um, what he lacks with his bat with how well he plays um, you know defense I mean I've, I've said this for a while I'm, I mean he's one, he's one of the best outfield prospects I've seen, you know, come through um, AAA. And that's not just Iowa Cup guys. That's, you know, every Des Moines. And you, if Ian ha- – or I don't know why I keep saying Ian Happ. <laughs> you <laughs> love Ian Happ. Yeah, I am on the, <laughs> the Ian Happ train. I'm driving it. Um, <laughs> Albert Amore Jr. stays healthy and gets opportunities to play. He's not only going to win a gold glove, he's probably going to win a couple of gold gloves. Yeah, uh, I definitely agree with that. I've, I'm, um, if you're driving the uh, Albert Elmora, or sorry, the Ian Happ train, <laughs> I'm, I'm driving the Elmora train. Um, I'm just very impressed with him. And I, I think he's going to hit for more power, maybe not this year or even next year, but I think he's going to eventually be a 20 home run guy. And um, I, I would say if he's getting on base at like, a 340 or 350 clip, which 350 might be on the higher end for him. And he's hitting, let's say, 15 to 20 home runs and, and playing defense every day in center field. That's a f- 
four or five win player probably. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of his ceiling, but that, you know, that defense, he's, he doesn't even have to hit to be extremely valuable. I mean, this is what we said about Jason Hayward last year, right? Because he's such a great right fielder. And, and I think Statcast had the number that he didn't misplay a single ball all season in right field. Um, because he's so great at it, he didn't even have to hit to be above, you know, replacement value. It was it was a, a kind of an amazing science project to watch a guy with no bat who's so great at, at fielding. How good can he be? Um, and I mean, that's the same for Almora. He's going to be better than that offensively, but um, it, he really to be valuable in the lineup, he he doesn't even have to hit. Well, sticking with sticking with some Iowa storylines, I'm curious to hear from you, Tommy, on who you're most looking forward to seeing on the pitching side, because I've got some names and some things that I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how they do and, and what kind of development they have. But I'm curious to hear from you on the pitching side. What, what, what are you, what are you looking out for? Yeah, there are a couple guys I've kind of um, got my, my, you know, my two eyes on. I mean, Pierce Johnson's intriguing one just because mm-hmm. um, he moved to the bullpen. He actually made the move last year. You know, he he struggled not just to stay healthy, but when he was healthy, he didn't pitch to he didn't pitch lights out by any means. I think that had to do with the injuries. It just stopped him from getting into any sort of work rhythm. Uh, the other guy, Ryan Williams, kind of fascinates me just because he's had some success at the the other levels and missed most of last season. Pitched you know decently. Um, well when he was in Des Moines um so you know I'm I think I'm just interested to see what he could do again this year and um you know Jose Rosario showed some pretty good stuff um last season so and then there's Rob Z you know it's right now it kind of sounds like he's not going to be in Iowa starting rotation you know probably pitch out of the bullpen because you know when Chicago needs Rob Z they're not going to need a starter they're probably going to need a long reliever or uh or just a relief pitcher, but then they may be building him back up since he pitched a lot in relief uh, during spring training. But those are kind of the big ones I'll be keeping an eye on that are at least starting the year in Iowa. Hmm. Let me tell you the names that you, let me tell you the right answer to the question, Tommy. (laughs) I'm all, I'm all here. (laughs) Because I have a, a, if I, I guess if you guys are riding your, your respective trains, I'm on the Jack Leathersitch train, and it's because I wrote a piece on him last year uh, for BP Really Bell that, that just I, I just assumed because his strikeout rates in the minors have been so high that he was just this like fireballer that couldn't find the strike zone. And in in researching the piece, I found out that yes, he couldn't find the strike zone, but it wasn't because he threw especially hard. He doesn't have a 98, 99 mile per hour fastball. He's just kind kind of like a little a little funk in his uh, in his delivery. And but that strikeout rate is just incredible. So I, I keep waiting for him to kind of step up and get get the spotlight in, in the big leagues and see if that little hitch translates into uh, you know major league success. But then the other guys, right? Looking looking ahead to next year, which here we go, the the <laughs> stupid Cubs fan that's already taking the season for granted. Uh, Eddie Butler and Alec Mills. If if one of those guys can potentially step up and, and and become a starter at the big league level that's i'm i'm looking forward to finding another one of these uh, uh diamonds in the rough that, that the cubs can use moving forward once arietta is gone eddie butler is my guy that's uh, when i do eventually make it you up can't ride multiple trains at one time <laughs> and i i have one on remote control uh yeah eddie butler, eddie butler is the guy that i want to i really want to see when i'm in iowa i mean obviously ian happ is going to be going to be the, the main driving factor of getting up there but uh yeah eddie butler i want to see what the cubs can do with him i heard some good things about him very early in spring training that uh that the cubs pitching staff or the pitching coaches had done some work with him and he was seeing just you know crazy improvement on his on his movement on his pitches so um that's a guy who i hate making this comparison but you know he's in that jake arietta mold where he was a prospect and couldn't figure it out. And I'm not saying he he's going to be a Cy Young winner, but you just want to see if you can reach some of that potential where, you know, he wasn't very good, you know, the team that he was with, and now you get him and, and he can actually start to put it together and be a, a big league starter. The question I have for you, Tommy, and a, a pitcher we haven't touched on who I think is 
mildly under the radar and, and really doesn't have a, a ton of ceiling. But uh, I think you had expressed to me in the past that maybe the Cubs really like is Jake Buchanan. Uh, what have you heard or seen from him just overall about uh, how the Cubs feel about him? Because I think we were all kind of surprised that he was on the big league roster in September last year. Yeah, I mean, I, I, was, I was like, what? <laughs> um, it's such a know, generic name, too. That's the problem. Yeah. You know, Jake, uh, I think one intrigues the Cubs is Jake's very reliable. Uh, there's nothing really, oh, my gosh, great that stands out about him. He's got some big league experience. He's an inning eater guy, uh, by all accounts. Being on this Iowa Cubs team, he, he's definitely a veteran. So, um, you know, I, I would say a couple years ago, Dallas Beeler was kind of that guy that bounced up and down as kind of that that um, double header type starter when they needed a guy that they could just bring up for a day or spot start or whatever. And I think that's what they kind of have in Jake Buchanan is just somebody reliable, somebody that's going to eat innings, somebody that's not going to be overly flashy and somebody that's not going to get pissed off, frankly, about bouncing up and down between uh, Des Moines and, and Chicago. So those are, those are all qualities you're kind of looking for in that spot starter type role. And, you know, I don't, I don't see Jake Buchanan's ever in like Chicago's, you know, fifth guy, but you know, he, he could find a spot in a long relief type role, but um, you know, I, I think what they love about him is just very safe in what they would need. <laughs> he's like the, uh, he's like the good guy when, when girls are like, there's the bad boy that's sexy and alluring. And then there's the good guy who's boring, but won't break your heart. Well, yeah. And I think like you talk to Cubs fans and when you've got all these intriguing prospects, you know, like it's kind of like when you're watching, let's make a deal. It's like, or, you know, they're, they're kind of like, Oh yeah, you can, you can have this, uh, this nice big screen TV, or you could have behind what's, uh, what's behind the door, and that could be like a free t- trip to Hawaii, <laughs> a giant speedboat and car. And Jake Buchanan's the TV, but uh, behind the behind the other door could be this, you know, uh, you know, one of those big prospects, or it could be you know the goat. <laughs> uh, Jake Buchanan's family is crying right now. <laughs> I can't wait to see. Not only is he this the week. <laughs> Not only is he the TV, he's a tube TV. <laughs> yeah, he's I a seventeen-foot boat. No, yeah, it's just a bunch of. Yeah, Jake. Jake's probably not the big screen TV. I, but. <laughs> well, I want to. I want to touch on something that uh, we mentioned earlier, and that's especially on a team like this that just had just won the World Series has all this incredible depth at the major league level where even a major injury, you've got somebody uh, that could step right in either from the bench or, you know, a, a guy like Ian Happ uh, from AAA. How, I'm curious to hear from you, Tommy, you know, you hear this phrase all the time. Oh, well, we're playing for all, all the other 29 big league teams or all the other big league teams that are out there. It's not just, you know, the parent team that, uh, that I'm under contract for or whatever. Do, do players really like, like how do they think about that because I can see it being so hard that you look up or you you know you you, you know the storyline if you're on this if you're in this organization you know it and if you're a guy like John Andreoli let's use him as an example who maybe could get a, a shot with the Rockies I don't know or Sam Vogelbach maybe so there's a perfect, perfect example yeah. so so I don't know. Do, do players, do you get a sense of players really believing that and just going out there and just, just busting it as hard as they can, knowing that having some, some level of faith that yes, if I put up the numbers and I look good and, and, and my tools are, are, and I'm getting as good as I can be with the tools that I have, that it could potentially be enough to get a starting job or a shot at the big league level with somebody else. Absolutely. I mean, Vogelbach didn't even hide that with me. You know, I know he he always kept telling me, you know, and I'm, I'm mentioning Vogelbach because, you know, he is the perfect example when it comes to this type of situation. He would mention to me, he would always be like, yeah, you know, I think I got a future in Chicago. You know, things things always have a funny way of working out. But, you know, if you put your faith in God, you know, every, everything will work out. And once he'd get done saying all that, kind of going through the dance, he'd say, 
<clears throat> you know, there there are plenty of other teams out there that are watching, they're paying attention to what I'm doing. So, you know, uh, it, it may not be with the Cubs, but somebody else, we all knew somebody else was going to value Dan Vogelbach. And I think that's, I think a lot of mentality, um, you know, um, Candelario, I mean, realistically, is Candelario have a shot in Chicago? Probably not, but, <clears throat> no. you know, I'm sure, um, you know, he at least understands that there are plenty of people watching this Iowa Cubs team because of of talent and because they know that, look, Chicago doesn't have room for all these guys. So they got to play their best all the time. And um, they, I think these guys definitely know that um, while they may not get called up to Chicago tomorrow, they could get traded tomorrow and be in the big leagues with somebody else uh, the very next day. Yeah, that's a really good point. And as far as for this season, I've kind of gone into it thinking that uh, Candelario is kind of the Dan Vogelbach of this team now um, because he is the guy who's just completely blocked. You know, he's a third baseman or can also play first base. And, you know, you've got Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo in those spots. And and who's backing up third base and first base? You know, it's Bryant will back up first base and – uh, Javier Baez will back up third, and then you've got Tommy Lastella who can play third. I mean, uh, Kyle Schwarber could go play first base if need be. I mean, there's just n- no way that that guy could actually come up to the big leagues and play on a regular basis. No, yeah, and, you know, they all, you know, I, I, I asked Ian Happ about this a couple of days ago um, before the season started. I said, do you ever put your GM hat on and kind of wonder, um, where do I fit into things when it comes to Chicago? Where, um, what pieces have to be moved, or where, you know, where could I land? And you know, he he said, "Well, we've got a great GM, and we've gotten even better. You know, we've got a great president too. So, you know, I don't do that, but they all do. They they all lie about that. They're all watching and kind of um, trying to figure out where things are. And I mean, there are a lot of guys on this roster that." are valuable trade bait. I mean, especially in Chicago. I mean, Caesar Candelario is going to get traded. Um, you know, Andrioli has been around for so long that at some point you got to do something with them. And, you know, the, the one risk you have by holding on to some of these guys for so long is that frustration does start to build up over a period of time. And you're you're not getting the same value or production that you may have been getting if you didn't deal them right away. I mean, look at Josh Fitters and Brett Jackson. Like I was when they, you were saying that, I was thinking those yeah. two players. I mean, they, the problem is, I think the Cubs for so long felt like they weren't scared that Josh Fitters and 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 Brett Jackson would not pan out with them. They were scared that they were going to trade them and they would pan out with somebody else. Uh, you know, uh, they ended up getting rid of Brett Jackson for, I think it was Blake Cooper, and he's out of baseball now. So at one point, if you would have unloaded them, you could have gotten some valuable pieces. Yeah, the, when you were describing it, I just was thinking Brett Jackson, Josh Fitters, those guys hung around for so long. And yeah. <laughs> I think this is something you and I have even talked about before, about how those guys, by the end of their time, probably just didn't even want to play. That's something I talked to Isaac, with Isaac about recently. Those guys just didn't even want to play anymore. Yeah, and I mean, they, they didn't want to be in Des Moines anymore. And it, it got to a point where with those two guys, it was awkward because you still had them as part of the Jim Henry era. And then you had Brian and Baez. You know, Baez was a, you know, a Henry guy, but um, <clears throat> you had Brian who – you know, represented the next, uh, you know, wave or the new era of Cubs baseball coming through. And um, it, it just made for an awkward situation. But, you know, Vitter's now playing any ball. I've always thought Vitter's could hit at the big league level with somebody. But, you know, it, it worked out well for Brad Jackson. He, he's on that TV show Pitch now. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I forgot he was doing that. I, I watched that last season. I like that show. He has had more shirtless scenes than David Hasselhoff. <laughs> <laughs> 
Hold on, what was the name of this show? I got a DVR on this. <laughs> Pitch. It's uh, the woman, uh, the woman kidding. baseball player. Yeah. <laughs> it was a good show. It's got. I was uh, trying to make a joke about me <laughs> yeah. wanting to see him. Sure. Yeah, but it's, yeah. it's uh, there, <laughs> it was Morris a on it? Yeah. See, that's what got me into it. <laughs> yeah. I think my my wife and I started watching that, and I only I, I don't think she even realized which character he was until maybe like halfway through the first episode. She's like, "Wait a minute, he's the catcher." <laughs> you know who else was on that show? He had a brief appearance. I think he was playing for the San Francisco Giants. Was Lars Anderson, um, mm-hmm. who who Theo had picked up in Boston and then brought to eventually brought to Chicago. So. Um, oh yeah, I remember that name. Yeah, Lars. Lars right? was a big, yeah, a big prospect at one point. And um, if I remember correctly, he fittingly grounded into a, a game-ending bases-loaded double play ball. So <laughs> I'm sure that wasn't tough for him to act out. Oh, <laughs> Tommy pulling out all the stops. I'm banking on Lars Anderson not listening, but I fear he may be. <laughs> Well, you know what? So, you know, we, I like to look, look at, and I think a lot of fans like to look at uh, the AAA roster to kind of see, oh, who's coming up, who who might be coming up soon because AAA, you know, that's all there is uh, after AAA is coming up to the big leagues. But are you looking down in the system anywhere and, and, and see any players that you think might come up to AAA so that you can cover them that you're excited to see? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, there there are a few guys that I've kind of had my eye on for a while. You know, Dwayne Underwood Jr. is the guy that I kept hearing about what a great army he had, and I kept thinking like, oh, this is the year I'm finally going to get to see that. And he's, <laughs> he he's still there. It seems like he he had to have bought a house in Tennessee by now. Like he's been there a while, but they they still seem to think, um, you know. He's got some potential. Uh, Trevor Clifton was the name that popped up from talking to some Cubs people that are just some baseball people um, that uh, that could be a guy that, um, you know, could help out in Iowa and possibly have a future in Chicago. But uh, to me, those are kind of the only names in double A. You know, obviously, I'm kind of waiting for whenever Jimenez, um, <laughs> Jimenez gets healthy, which – you know, I, I, at this point, I mean, it, I think it'd be a complete shock if he ever got to Iowa this season just because yeah. he's starting off the year on the DL. He's so young. There's no reason to rush him and, you know, just just take your time with him. But um, those are kind of the big ones that, you know, or, I mean, this Des Moines team has a ton of prospects. You know, the problem is what's weird about what's going on in Des Moines is um, – <clears throat> If you would have asked me like three, four years ago, um, you know, about, you know, how his team looks, I'd be like, man, I can write so many good stories, you know, with, uh, you know, so many prospects here. I remember I got, I, I, <clears throat> I was pumped when Junior Lake got brought up. I was like, oh, man, Junior Lake was my man. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, people in Chicago are going to be so excited that he's coming to AAA. Like I'm going to, I finally have a prospect to write about. <laughs> And then, you know, then the next year you had this wave of, you know, Brian Baez, Russell, eventually uh, Albert Almora Jr. and Vogelbach. And now, now that that wave has kind of come and gone, it's like you're, you're probably never going to see that ever again. You know, it's, it's, you've got some really good prospects, but those were elite superstar prospects. I was thinking about this. Uh, when I was one of the first games I was watching, I can't remember which one it was, but it, it struck me that that crazy wave of elite prospects and the fact that they're, you know, they're, they're so young and they're so good at the same time. It brought me back to the Yankees teams <laughs> when they brought, they had all, what was it? I mean, I'm going to try to write them all. Posada, Jeter, uh, was Bernie Williams in there? All these young guys that I don't know if Bernie Williams came up with them, but you know they all came up together and they got there and they just were phenomenal for so many years. That yeah. is what it reminded me of. Yeah, I mean, I think it was before last season because I'm, I was writing the story about how Zaywa Cubs infield was going to start off last season with Bryant, Baez, and Russell. It was two years ago, and you know. Um, I remember I talked to um, Tim Kirchin from ESPN and 
we were talking about the year before year before when uh you know at one point you had Baez Bryant um Alcon on a lot of people's radars and Manny Ramirez and he was like man Tommy you should write a book and um, I was like wow maybe I should and like the you're probably never going to see something like that ever again, the level of, 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 of prospects that big coming together all at once. Yeah, that's that's the really cool thing about what's happened at AAA the last two years, which is, I I agree, you should write a book. That's just all that's fascinating stuff. And just even the things that you've told me, uh, you know, no mics on about some of the <laughs> stuff that you see at AAA. Uh, with, that he loves you? <laughs> with even some of the players coming down uh, on like rehab assignments, some of the stories you tell, I mean, that that's all great stuff that that's a, in a book people will want to buy. Yeah. I mean, to me, that's always kind of the interesting thing is seeing these guys um, grow up. I mean, even like Arietta, when Arietta came here, I remember he gets traded, he comes to the Moines and I'd, I, I had a friend that actually worked for the Orioles that I talked to about him and, you know, he's like, yeah, you know, he, big prospect but you know just didn't work out and remember when Arietta like packed I talked to him like right before for that final time he's like yeah I got my truck packed up I'm heading out so let's do it now and I'm thinking like yeah I'll I'll see you sometime next season I'm sure and (laughs) I, I just had no idea that you know that was going to happen and um those are kind of the cool ones. I mean, when Brian came up, you know, Brian and Baez, you know, you knew like okay, yeah. these guys are these guys are going to be good. I mean, I I can only remember one scout telling me he had questions about Chris Bryant. Everybody else was like, <laughs> "Dude's going to be a Hall of Famer," and one dude's like, "Uh, you know, if he figures it out, maybe." <laughs> but he, I mean, he is now scouting for the show Pitch. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Manny well, was the best one. Oh, we're, we're there. Uh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Carlos. No, I was just—I was just going to say I'm, I, I like that uh, that line of thinking, and I'm curious what other uh, take me back to some other names. Any other names that you've you've covered that have that have gone through Iowa that you've you've kind of been like that really surprised you when they when, when they made it or or you know went way beyond what you thought they were going to be in, in covering them in Iowa I mean I thought Kyle Hendricks was going to be a, a good starter um obviously <laughs> I don't know if anybody saw what was coming last season um if they are they're a liar <laughs> um I thought he was going to be like a backhand a liar yeah <laughs> not you <clears throat> anyone else <laughs> <laughs> to me, that to me that was the most shocking one. But I mean, the like I mentioned before, just the weirdness of Manny Ramirez. Like that was, you know, <laughs> I, I, it's I'm at last for you know. I remember Manny signed, and nobody in Iowa saw it coming. Nobody, and then it was like a month wait until Manny actually got to Des Moines. And I was writing stories like every day, like. He might be here. Uh, this one he's coming. You know, he might be coming. I even did a story about like how fan mail had been like piling up in Des Moines waiting for him. And I still get people a joke with me on Twitter. Like when's Manny coming? When's, when's he going to be here? I mean, that to me, that was the, the most bizarre situation of them all. But um, to me, one interesting thing is just seeing the maturity of Javier Baez. I mean, I think we've all seen him grow as a player, but I noticed last year when he came down to Des Moines on his rehab assignment, he just seemed like a totally different guy. He, To me, when he first came to Des Moines, he was almost like this punk kid who thought he had it all figured out and knew he was going to be in the big leagues, was going to be a star soon. That last time I had saw him and talked to him, he had a he had had by then he had had a giant piece of humble pie and really changed. Yeah, I was I was going to ask, uh, do you think that uh, that 2014 call up played a massive role in in shaping him into the player that he is today? Because I, I think that's what a lot of people assumed, but nobody ever really saw any like uh, physical evidence of it. Do you think? Did you see that that 2014? the awful short like two month stint that he had with the Cubs did that change him 
Yeah, I think so. And then I think the death of his sister, too, who he was very close to, um, kind of kind of helped shape him. I mean, he went through a lot of stuff. I mean, you're talking about, you know, um, struggling massively when he goes up, losing his sister. And then, um, you know, one other time he was on the verge of going back up. And I think he broke his finger sliding into second base. And you're kind of wondering – this guy's just never going to figure it out. The baseball gods do not like Javier Baez. But, um, yeah, I think I think all those life situations and struggles have helped shape him. I've always thought Javier Baez is a guy that has to play um, with a little I'm, – I'm trying to think of the right word – maybe a little self-confidence issues. I think when he's really cocky and really confident, that's almost a bad thing for him because – that's when you see some of that lazy hitting approach um, and when you kind of see him, you know, have some mental hiccups in the infield. Yeah, I, I think that uh, you're right on that. I, uh, I think we even saw that last year in the postseason where he came out and performed so well against uh, against the Giants. And then you kind of started to see it happen as the confidence built he started getting into some of those bad habits again, started swinging like crazy at at everything that was thrown near the plate. Uh, And then we didn't really see him bust out of that slump until maybe the home run in game seven. Yeah. He's, he's always going to have, it's always going to be up and down. It's never going to be steady Eddie for him. I think you're going to see him unbelievably on fire. And then he's going to do something that you're like, Baez, what the hell are you doing? You know, I mean, he's he's got that that you know that little bit of immaturity in him that's probably always going to peak its head up. Hmm. Cool. Well, so the Cubs are four and two. Things are looking good with the major league roster. The the prospects at AAA and beyond look promising. Uh, this is all good stuff. So thanks for coming on, Tommy. Appreciate it. Yeah, I had a blast. I get paid, right? <laughs> yeah, that's. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll give no, you half. We'll you give, guys... you, give you half what we make. <laughs> so, if if, uh, if uh, the listeners want to reach out to us, ask us questions. Again, we love getting questions. You can reach us at uh, BP Wrigleycast at uh, com and on Twitter at BP Wrigleycast. And if you want to bring Tommy back, the hashtag <laughs> is hashtag Bring Back Tommy. <laughs> No, you get and let me. Right yeah, and let me say you guys you guys do great stuff. It's it's a huge help for me reading about all the different levels. So, um you guys do great stuff. I'm I'm glad you had me on. This is good. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And and I will Turn definitely be seeing promo. you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I will definitely be seeing you sometime soon uh, up in Des Moines. We'll have to go hit a rooftop bar and see a couple games. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Good night, guys. Thanks. All right. Thanks.